0: Everyone and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm your host Marcel Pettifat, and I'm joined today by a special guest who I know from a community that I'm a part of called SAS Academy. He is the founder of a company called Lifter LMS, and he's here to talk a little bit about how he built Lifter LMS out of an agency that he had originally started, and all of the things that were necessary to create the possibility for that. Um, so I'm really excited to introduce you guys to my good friend Chris Badgett. Chris thanks for being here today.
1: I'm excited, Marcel. Thank you so much for having me. The The agency owner is near and dear to my heart, so I'm happy to share and try to add as much value as I can to you out there listening or watching today.
0: Well, you've got a lot of empathy for the agency owner because it wasn't that long ago that you too were the agency owner. Um, And so before we dive into this, I think there's a couple of fun things that um, I want to share about you. Number one, you live on an organic farm and you homeschool your kids. So I think that's super cool. These are the kinds of things that I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs aspire to be able to do. And um, I appreciate that about you because, you know, you have clearly been able to build several businesses, not just an agency, but now also a software company that are built to provide you with a lifestyle that works for you. And it's not, you're not a slave to your business. And I think that that's a pretty special thing. And I, I certainly want to unpack that a little bit today. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to first give you a chance to, in your own words, explain kind of what you do at Lifter LMS and uh, how you got here.
1: That's awesome. Well, Lift Your LMS is a learning management system for WordPress. So I help course creators create, launch, and scale. A big part of our community is actually agencies who build learning management system membership sites, courses for clients. So it's like a segment uh, of of our community. But I'm uh, I'm very much an intentional. I mean, the word lifestyle design became popular maybe with Tim Ferriss at the Four Hour Work Week. But I've always kind of lived that way. Even before I started an agency, I just um, studied what I wanted to study. I did what I wanted to do as a career. I actually left and spent a lot of time climbing and running sled dogs in Alaska and have this whole like outdoor um, lifestyle thing I pursued and figured out a way to make money at. And while I was up there, I kind of fell in love with um, blogging, online marketing, and the idea of a location-independent business that I could run from anywhere. And that's what really set in motion what became uh, my freelancing career, my agency, and now a software company.
0: Awesome. So when when was the moment when you kind of realized that you were starting an agency and, and how did that come about? The moment
1: was when I almost missed the birth of my first daughter in Alaska. <clears throat> Keep in mind that i uh, I used to operate, uh, I used to manage a remote helicopter supported sled dog tour business on a glacier in Alaska that, that um, there's like 30 people, a couple hundred sled dogs up there. And my wife was around, she was pregnant. And um, I was going to go back, I was going to fly back up to the glacier where I lived for, you know, a week at a time and uh, come back down and then stay down before my child was born. And and we were doing the home, the home birth thing and everything. It was all ready to go. And I was just going to go one more time. But my daughter ended up, actually, so a storm rolled in. The fog settled over Juneau, Alaska. And the helicopters couldn't fly. And that night, I, and because of that, I was forced not to fly back up to the ice field and return to work. That night, my wife went into labor. And, uh, you know, my first daughter was born. It made me realize I love Alaska. I love the outdoors. I love working in remote locations. But I always wanted to be a really present dad. And it was in that moment that I realized, you know, this decade of my life where I've been a climbing bum and an outdoor leadership person and a guide and all this stuff, I was like, it's time to do something different. So that was the moment where I was like, I'm going to take this kind of interest in the internet. I had started blogging about outdoor leadership and management. These are topics that are near and dear to my heart. I was like, I need to do something with that. And um I want to be able to run a business from anywhere and just do things in my own way. So that's how that kind of
0: how I turned the corner. Awesome. And so at that point, did you know that you eventually wanted to build a software company or at the time were you just kind of focused on building, you know, a digital business and, and settled on the agency? Um,
1: I wasn't that organized in my thinking cause I'm one of these guys who believes that anything is possible. So I just have to decide and I wasn't quite sure what was, what I was going to decide on. So while I was, you know, still doing my outdoor tourism thing, I actually came a, across an online course called wake up, wake up productive by Evan Pagan. And this is a period where of, of my life where I was, uh, was it's actually caretaking this really nice property in New Hampshire in the winter. This is a long story I won't get into, but that's where I took my first online course. And I that set in motion, this is about 15 years ago as of this recording, what became my morning routine, which dramatically changed everything about who I am, what I do, and how I can operate and get so much done in a day. But when I took that online course and I kind of fell into the internet marketing world, Evan Pagan's an online marketer. Um, I became fascinated with the concept. So I'd be up, it was funny to even say out loud, but I'd be up on the ice field, you know, where there's literally no cell signal, no internet connection. And I would just be thinking and ruminating like, man, I wonder what kind of online business I could start. So when I left, um, my first web design client I sold, was a real estate developer and I sold him a um $300 website, where I developed a a website, WordPress site for his subdivision and started generating a bunch of leads for him through online marketing and SEO. And this is back in 2010. Uh, So it was really easy to like rank and do, you know, just basic internet marketing and get really extreme results for people.
0: Nice. So of course that snowballs into you starting an agency. And, um, how, how big did the agency get, um, before you kind of started the transition into building Lifter or LMS? Well, I started as a,
1: I just t- tur- turned the agency under my own name. My last name is Badget. So I created Badget Media and I started doing bigger and bigger clients. I, I started, overselling what I could create because I realized if you've ever heard the term the hipper the the hipster the hacker and the hustler it takes that three hats to really be successful as an agency especially as a website development agency I'm a hustler I I'm not a hacker I'm not a developer and I'm not a hipster which means I don't have great design aesthetic but I can solve business problems and I can manage the client relationship and I can sell and I can market so whenever I would oversell I would have to hire I would need to backfill design talent and real developers instead of me just putting WordPress plugins together and doing my best shot at design. So I got myself up to like, I don't know, four or five people. And then later I ended up merging my company, Badget Media, with um, actually one of my independent contractors company, which was called Codebox. And I was doing a little freelancing for them as a project manager because I knew how to, you know, manage the client. And we were like, this is ridiculous. Let's just put our companies together. And they had bigger clients than I did. So that's when I really moved up market to the, you know, 10K, 30K on up web web development projects. Where I was at was like more like the two $3,000 project. Yeah. And then um, from that, we we grew that company up to at, at the largest 18, um, 18 people. And that company is called Codebox, which is technically... The name of my business. Lifter LMS is a product that Codebox makes. Nobody knows about Codebox unless you really dig deep, but that's, that's how
0: Codebox became an 18 person agency. Awesome. And so at what point did you start to decide that you wanted to build Lifter LMS? How did that come about?
1: So I had been also just with my fascination with online business, I had been creating digital products myself without much success. And I, um, before I had merged with Codebox, I uh, created my own organic gardening courses with various experts around the world. I even flew to Costa Rica and filmed this permaculture design retreat in the jungle and created a course around this. And I, you know, I was I hired like a videographer from New York to come down. It's all while I had very little money, and I just made it happen. And uh, anyways, I started blogging about building online courses and membership sites with WordPress that. So I've always been fascinated by it. Ever since I took Eben's course, I've called wake up productive, which really changed my life. I, I just like creating impact in other. And the, probably the thing that lights me up the most is helping create other leaders. It's what I used to do in the offline world in Alaska. Um, but that, uh, <clears throat> that, that's kind of the transitionary process there. And, you know, I started getting, you know, I used to blog and nobody would read my stuff. But when I started write, blogging about online courses and memberships and WordPress, um, I started getting inquiries and comments. And I even had a, a company in New York City flew me out there to consult on how to build an affiliate program for their WordPress LMS business in a, in a particular course niche. And I was like, so I so basically, I hit a pain point or I hit like market demand. And that's why... Um, so when we put up, when we were doing all this client work, I was always trying to focus it on courses, membership sites, LMS, and that's what we did. And, um, so our biggest clients, we used to build these kinds of things custom from scratch every time, like so much development, so much custom user interface design, uh, while still leveraging WordPress in some way, but a lot of these were highly customized sites and training platforms for different industries that we're building. So, our very first um, client, our very first Lifter LMS users were actually our high paying clients, which sounds kind of crazy the audacity we had at the time to have our best clients essentially being beta testers of our product. But we realized that there was a product in here, we're going to start building that, you know, our, and our, our clients are going to be our first users.
0: That this is where I think this gets very interesting because I'm sure that there are lots of people listening that are experiencing that same kind of thing in their agency, right? They're seeing the same pain points come back over and over again. Maybe they're having to redo the same types of things, like they're going through the same processes and they're thinking about, is there some IP here? Can we develop something, not only to make our services scale better, but that other agencies could use or that other people like our clients could use that could really scale beyond our agency. And of course that's a very attractive idea, isn't it? Um, Especially when you're caught in the, I don't wanna say caught, but when you're used to the grind of running an agency, of having to constantly hunt down clients and then earn that revenue. That's, that's a process, right? And we dream of the scalability of SaaS. So of course you have that realization you start building out this SaaS product, but I'm really intrigued as to what the most challenging parts of that process were. Cause it's not easy to build software inside of an agency for most people.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so much pain points there that it's, it's not even funny. A lot of it involved me taking a, um, we were always in growth mode. I mean, remember in, in a three year period, I went from selling $300 websites to, you know, 30, 50, $70,000 projects. So I was constantly becoming a new and better and improved person with a better and better team, constantly reinvesting in my own self-education and better, you know, contractors and skills around me to deliver. So it was very like at a breakneck pace, but the, my, my unique ability is around just endurance and marathoning and just the long haul, like the long game. So that's even just building a product inside of an agency. I call that moving slow to move fast later. Imagine taking all your profits, even taking a pay cut where you have to have difficult conversations with your partner at home about, you know, we're not, we're, we're actually making less money for a while. And that ended up being a couple of years to really bootstrap the product. And and pretty significantly low income where I was paying um, the developer who was building the original prototype. He was bringing home a lot more a month than I was, but I was making an investment for the future and I had to work within my cash constraints. So I'm kind of a bootstrapper in the truest sense of the term. If I was a little smarter, maybe I would have taken on a little uh, capital to like just ease the transition. But I did it uh, in a... So the most painful part was really just taking that hit to build a prototype, to launch, to, to have a small user base before the, you know, things really start to go parabolic. That took, that was a long, slow, hard road. <laughs> and that's, that's painful. And also, um, when you run an agency and a product company side by side, the agency always cannibalizes the product. So if the high-end client needs something, you know, the person working on the product or doing support or doing feature road mapping, everything, they're going to get yanked and put on to the high maintenance client. I didn't have the resources to build this beautiful little skunk works in an isolated compound where there's protected from, you know, the demands of the client business. We, we were getting whiplashed a lot. And it's really hard to parallel process because the mindset of an agency and a product company are different. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. I I like agency. I like client work. But the product, you know, entrepreneur is really different. Ultimately, through a lot of self reflection, I realized, you know, perhaps you've heard of the corner office test. I was looking at the big agencies in my industry and be like, do I want to be like that CEO? Or do I want to be like this product person over here? And I realized that, okay, I'm I think I'd rather lean my ladder against the product wall. Not that agency's bad, but I'm a better fit for product. So maintaining the parallel identities is a little bit challenging as well.
0: And those are some great insights and all things that, um, you know, I'm sure you've heard multiple times. I know I've heard from agency owners that I've spoken to that have successfully or have unsuccessfully attempted to build product inside of the agency. And I know we went, you know, we went through that as well. We built the first versions of paraquito inside of an agency and all those challenges were true, you know, especially the cannibalization piece. I think most people don't have, unfortunately, the resources to like, go park a bunch of smart people in like a separate office and never interrupt their work and you know I'm sure as well as I do that every interruption in the flow of building that product is like significantly impactful it takes the certain amount of momentum it's it's hard for a developer to do a good job of building a product off the side of their desk or if it's their fifth priority no matter how talented they are so there's a lot of uh, nuance to how impactful that distraction can be from the agency. So I'm curious to know, um, there's several things to talk about here. The first is, of course, the cash. You mentioned how cash intensive it is to build products. (laughs) You and I both know how expensive this gets. I think a lot of people underestimate it at times. Um, How did you create a business that was able to sustainably cash flow the investment that you were making in the product? And you know, do that without cratering the agency or, you know, putting it in a, in a really um, risky position.
1: Well, one of the, uh, you know, investment advice I got from a family member is, this is a long time ago, is that the money is made on the buy, not the sell. So what that means in this context is I'm always looking for hiring talent where I don't need to pay like, San Francisco Bay Area pricing or, um, so I'm pretty good at talent scouting. So I can, I can tend to find good people that I can get for a lot less than, the um, than the usual. And I'm also, because like I said, I like to develop other leaders. I'm willing to invest in somebody who's maybe less experienced and train them up and give them opportunity to make some mistakes and grow. So the so there's some of that going on where I was able to build an economical team engine. That's one. Um number two is we shot to the top of the market. Well, at least for us in small business or VSB world, you know, fifty, seventy thousand dollar sites, there's a lot of margin on that. Um so because you're and, and we never did any work without money in advance. So like there there was always cash flow. I mean, we do milestone payments and things like that, but Uh, we would get the money up front. And I did the same thing whenever I sell product. It's funny, we're doing this interview today. Lifter LMS is five and a half years old. And today we released uh, one of the final add-ons. Lifter LMS has um, like 20 add-ons that add different functionality. Today we launched our groups add-on, which kind of completes the launch vision from five years ago of the key characteristics. And I've been selling groups from five years ago, but also even in the past um, six months, I've been pre-selling it um, at a discount, what I call an early adopter discount. So I developed the skill of pre-selling product, which helps get the cash situation. It's not a magic bullet. Most people aren't early adopters and aren't willing to invest early like that, but it does generate a wheel. It gets the cash sooner. Uh, It gets some cash flow coming in sooner. Um, and then the third and final piece of advice I would say is, I mean, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can work I can work really hard with lots of focus over sustained amounts of time. And when you're willing to take a pay cut, and like I live in a small town on the coast of Maine. The house I live in right now costs me $145,000. It's not, I've always like kind of chosen to, let, to live below my means so that I can take those calculated risks. And if you don't do that, like I have a one car family, like you're more likely if you are to drive through my town, you're more likely to see me on a bicycle than a car. But these are all just like ways of um, making sure you can operate on low level. So if you're going to make that transition, that becomes that ability to do more with less becomes a an asset for sure. And it's definitely been a unique advantage that I know some people can't, they can't take those those um, cuts, but I could have never gotten to where I was without doing that.
0: Hmm. How, how did you know, like at the point when you started doing this, how did you know, how were you able to predict that? You know, like I feel like there's a, a lot of folks that um they might not even be able to really figure out like you must have had a certain level of predictability in your agency where you kind of knew this is this is like how we get clients. This is how many we're going to be able to handle in a certain period of time. This is kind of how much margin we make. Like you must have had a certain level of insight into your business to be able to predict accurately in this case, as it is, how much money you were actually going to have to work with to build the product and and how you're going to be able to sustain that investment over time.
1: Yeah. I mean, we developed spreadsheets of um, like cash flow. Uh, It actually arose out of the pain point of our um, developers not being happy because they end up like at the downstream from the, um, the discovery call, the design process, getting the content, building the site, and then, like, all the custom development that happens in the end, it's those developers that get squeezed the most in a web development agency business. And, like, they get the most unreasonable expectations in terms of timeline, working capacity, and budget when you get there. So because of all that pain around that, this is why I think Parakita is such an awesome solution to be able to... Yeah, I wish I would have had that back then, because I would have, it would have caused, it would have reduced so much stress and conflict within our organization. And we didn't have like a toxic organization. It was just, there was a lot of unnecessary stress over cash flow and capacity. We did our best with spreadsheets and we did our best at like, when we saw a crunch coming which we got to sell, sell, we got to, you know, talk to clients and propose new projects and do all that stuff to like generate some more cash. But, um, we, we, we weren't as calculated as you might think, but if we had been better about our business intelligence tools and financial forecasting models instead of our kind of homemade spreadsheet system, it would have been a lot smoother.
0: Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Now, one of the insights I think came out of this was the value of productizing services and how that kind of is able to impact the level of predictability. Cause to your point, like even with imperfect data, even with, you know, kind of hacking together spreadsheets, there's a, there's a benefit there to productizing services. Um, how, how was that working out? How did you decide that that was like the right way to do it? Well, there's like, uh, a- I often find myself in different
1: contexts saying this phrase that it's a process, not an event. I say that about a lot of different things, but transitioning from agency to a software company was definitely a multi-year process, not event like it happened on Tuesday on this date. Um, So one of the ways I look to like smooth that transition and and quite frankly, like survive that transition and ease some of the cash flow constraints is... I asked myself the question, how can I create based on all we know about delivering like high end custom web dev solutions for membership sites? How can we productize that in a way that we give away as much of the value as we can um, while using mostly just our tool and some templated sites with limited customization that still delivers the value at a medium price point? So that's, that's when we started getting into productized services, which when we did that, we experimented with it for about a year and pulled it in that year. We did about $80,000 worth of, of productized services. And those were think of them like membership sites in a box powered by WordPress WordPress using our tech stack, using like page builder templates, whether you like Beaver Builder, Elementor, Divi, whatever. And, um, you know, customize for the client with a little bit of installing their content with limits, like up to 100 lessons, up to this many quizzes and so on. And putting in their branding and their colors and stuff like that. And the different price points, the two, the five and the $10,000 price point of which we sold all of those, even without a sales call, um, there's there's a market for that. And people, it's a different customer though. That's what I realized. My head sometimes spins because I have a freemium plus add-on plus bundle. So I was hitting the market from everywhere from like the free user to the bootstrapper with limited resources to the money's no object, do-it-yourself or agency to the high-end custom client. And I'll tell you what I learned in that experience is these People at the different these clusters of people at the different price points are very different. So a productized service is likely going to be a, the customer, the ideal customer or client is going to have different attributes than your custom high end work. But they they want they they can see the value, um, and you can deliver the value. But they're. They're different. They, they look similar, but they're going to they're be a little different. But that's, that's why we started working with productized services. And I just want to recommend a couple great people I learned about productized um, services. One, his name is Brian Castle. He even ha- I think he has a course called productized, but he's a great leader and thinker in terms of creating productized services out of an agency. Uh, highly recommend him. And then there was another woman, um, Mandy Elif, El- Ellison. I believe her name is. She has a, a program yeah. called the Hands Off CEO.
0: Hands Off CEO. <laughs> I. Uh, She's been one of my favorite guests on the show so far. I
1: She's don't know great. if she realized how much of an impact she had because I just went. I we didn't. Um, we ended up not hiring her, but I went through a bunch of her training, and that helped me solidify my thinking around productized services and allowed us to. Um,
0: to launch that, but that's kind of our productized service journey. Awesome. So great resources. I'll make sure to link those up in the show notes for everyone that's listening. We also have a great episode um, on the Agency Profit Podcast with Mandy Allison. So I'll link that up, as well as one with Lee Goff, where he talks about um, his Lego builder system to productizing services. So some great insights there as well. So my question for you, Chris, is when you started experimenting with productized services, what was the moment that you realized like this is the way that we need to move forward? What like, what did you see? What was the impact? Like, was the profit better? Was the, the was it way less stressful like why did you say this is it well it's another one of those
1: move slow to move fast later like for me i had to spend significant time that i didn't have um developing this like offer and then these templates that and then like the rules of engagement if you will of Mm -hmm. what can we offer that feels like a car where you have like the luxury model the you know, re- economy model and then the mid-grade model. This is how I started thinking about websites. And it, and just getting into like value-based pricing as opposed to as an agency owner, I was really used to, I mean, we still did a lot of value-based pricing, but when you get into productized service, it's way more, it's less about the time. Even if it like some of her stuff took like, like the lower packages took less than an hour or two and it was like still a couple grand of value there. Um, yeah it's not about the time anymore. It's about the the product and how that particular type of customer values that product. So I'm drifting away from your original question. Can you help bring me back in? Yeah,
0: it's like, what what was the thing that you saw that told you that this was the right way for you to move and that it was going to allow you better opportunity to bootstrap your SaaS company, like that it was gonna create the cash flow and, and the space and the predictability and all those things. How did you how did you figure that out? What were you looking at that told you that?
1: I think part of it is what was I looking through? And when I had the, the insight that I was a product person, like I, I didn't know. I just thought I was an entrepreneur and online business guy. But I kind of had this moment of self-discovery of like, oh, I'm a product person. And naturally since I tend to do things the hard way and tend to be like self-taught and like the school of hard knocks. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to like, a productized service is sort of a halfway point between agency and product. So that it it just kind of forced me to be like, all right, well, if you're going to be a product guy, start thinking more in systems and templates and scale and, um, and think about creating value in that way. I mean, So like as a mindset shift, just as an example, like I could be on a sales call and close a $70,000 project in an afternoon, whereas like on a product, I needed a full year to get that much revenue in a software company. So it's a totally different mindset. And if you put productized service in the middle, like how could I sell seven $10,000 productized services or 14 $5,000 productized services? It's like, All right, now let's think about that. What can I create that's of that amount of value that's not going to cost an arm and a leg of my time and very talented team members to do it? The, The other benefit is you can run, when you really get clear on productized service offerings, you don't have to put your best people on it. You may need their help to develop the templates and the processes and to like brainstorm and everything, but it's much more of a you know standard operating procedures way of implementing to get the value for the client in a way that feels customized and and bespoke so that's you know i was um i like agency work and clients but i was a little burnt out on the high on high end agency work because it's extremely um there's a lot on the line you know and these are my some of my best clients are many multi multi million tens of million dollar businesses that need, relied on us which I, I love the, I love it, but that responsibility is stressful. So doing it in a productized way was like creating a path to do the same thing with less talented people in a more scalable way.
0: Yeah. And and so it sounds like um, you had a decent amount of data informing because like obviously you had to come up with like, how much am I going to charge for this thing? And part of that must've been based on how long, is it going to take? And you probably had some information previously that helped you inform that. And then you probably had some information going forward to tell you if your guess was right or not. Um, I'm really curious to dig into the nitty gritty of that because this is, uh, after all, the Agency Profit Podcast and I'm a nerd. And- I like to talk about (laughs) nerdy things. So, so walk me through, like, what was the, what was the data and reporting like, and and how did you, um, like, what kind of lift in, in like, profitability, gross margin did you kind of see in in productized services versus some of the stuff that you were doing before? Well, first, just to couch before
1: we get into that it it was a process, not an event in the sense that I had to constantly be refining the offer. Like the first one was different than the second one, which was different than the third one. And then we got to take the whole thing down and put it back up again, take a month off, redo it, put it back up because it's, um, it's definitely a work in progress to, you're just not going to hit your productized service product market fit right out of the gate. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, I think we've talked about well, you were a guest on my podcast, but I'm more of an intuitive person than a numbers-driven person. So I don't. I'm trying to search in my non-numbers, <laughs> data-driven way of thinking for the the deal. But I would say that it was kind of flipped. Our our agency work, even though we were doing really high-end projects, it was so much custom development, high-touch client relationship stuff. Somewhere around 20% profit margin. Productized service, 80% profit margin. It just flips. And yeah, I mean, that's the best I could give you without like digging into some (laughs) some old data.
0: And I mean, obviously, like I think this is the thing that's so key about this, right? is like all in services, especially, all revenue not created equal. You could not have built a software company with a twenty percent gross profit on it doesn't matter how much like you'd have to sell so much revenue and have such a big team to be able to fund the software company doing all that custom work and the productized service, like the cash flow, is just so much better. And it allows you to then take a bunch of that money and reinvest it into somewhere else to build something again, that's long-term and scalable. So I love that you discovered that. (laughs) And I love that you were able to build a great business on top of that, just for everyone at home. um, How many learning management systems are built on top of Lifter LMS today?
1: Right now we're just around 10,000 active users. You know, the, it's been downloaded a lot more times than that, but according to WordPress, that's how many are,
0: are active right now. Amazing. So you built, you've built, been able to build a great business. I know, um, you know, you and I have hung out quite a bit at uh, different SaaS Academy events. You were kind enough to have me on your show, which I'll also link in the show notes in case anyone is curious about listening to that. Um And I think your story is just one that a lot of other folks um, can learn a lot about. So I'm really glad that you're able to come on the show and share it. So for those that are at home that are in the kind of spot that you were in five years ago, they've got clients, they're seeing the same things coming back. They've got some ideas, they're product curious, as I like to call it. Um, What are kind of the final hot tips or words of advice that you have for them? If they're thinking about making this kind of a move. Do the reflection and see like, Some people just have
1: agency in their DNA and they see a shiny object, but some people it's the, they are, they they realize that they want to be the product model. So do some soul searching. That's number one. Number two is uh, yeah. Like when I first launched Lifter LMS, I had 42 customers, right? That was uh, $7,000 I believe is what we did on our launch, which flies out the door in a heartbeat just to pay a developer for one month. So how are you going to bridge that gap? I think productized services are are good. Um, but also making your agency run more profitably is good. We kept working the spreadsheets, getting better at scope creep, getting better at managing the relationship with the client, getting better at like upselling more work into the client. Like get those, get that cash machine rolling and get your numbers straight so that you can finance these pet projects. And don't get too attached to it. Like, just like with the productized service or the software, it's a, it's a process, not an event. You got to constantly be like... Cha- the biggest... I, I think my biggest takeaway with building really any offering service, productized service or product is be open to having your assumptions challenged and be, be open to surfacing what assumptions are you operating under because assumptions about who your customers are, what they value, what features they want... What business goals they have, uh, what they find as essential, what they find as sexy, what they find as necessary, all these different things are assumptions. And if you can have an open mind and just be like, everything's up for debate, I don't, you're trying to get to like base reality, I call it. That's the key to unlocking value in a, in a really good offer is not being too attached to your assumptions and helping your clients and your customers. Uncover their own because, you know, if you're in the results for helping people get results for other people, there's just so many assumptions at play that uh, sometimes we lose, lose focus on the end user results, which is really the most important thing.
0: Some. Incredibly wise words of advice uh, from Chris, all of which I can attest to. Um, I know, like, there's a reason that you've been listening to this podcast for a year and you're probably not using our product. We made a lot of assumptions. A lot of them were incorrect. And 100%, you got to stay open to that. And that's the process that we're always kind of going under is, is what are our assumptions? How can we prove ourselves wrong as quickly as possible and hope that we're right? Um, but ultimately, try to prove ourselves wrong constantly. It's a hard, it's a hard, like transition to make mentally, right, is going from trying to validate your assumptions to trying to invalidate them um, constantly and kind of being your worst critic in that sense or the devil's advocate as often as possible. So that's definitely a good one. And I do love that you mentioned the importance of running a profitable business. I think productized services are a great way to do that because I think, you know as well as I do that um, every time that there's a fire and there's scope creep and there's more work than you thought there was going to be and you got to pull the team off the product and work on client stuff and then stick them back on that might take weeks if not months um, off of the timeline for delivering your product if you're pre-selling it then you're behind the eight ball all the time if you um, lose a client or you don't hit your sales targets then you don't have the cash to pay the developer that you hired extra to have the extra capacity to work on the thing so there's so much to be said about just Building stability into your agency. Um, and that's going to make the already challenging task of building a software company just a little bit less difficult because you're not going to have to deal with so many of the additional complexities that come with running an agency, which is a hard business to run in parallel. I mean, that's a juggling act that just a lot of people, I, I don't think, are prepared for. And they can make it easier on themselves by just solidifying the agency first before trying to build something on top of that foundation. So love those insights. Um, Super wise. And I hope that those at home are writing notes and listening attentively and uh, are going to go reflect on some of that stuff. So with all of that, for those uh, that are listening that want to follow you online and follow some of the content that you're producing and learn more about Lifter LMS, where should they go and find you?
1: You can find my podcast is over at LMS cast. So just do a Google search for that. And the product, if you're thinking about um, doing a course yourself or doing agency work for clients who have courses or membership sites or any kind of training thing going on, check out lifterlms.com. And I just want to say one final word that really helped me when I was making this transition, which was this idea as a company that you can have, you can be in one of three states. You can be the walking dead. You can have a modest win or you can have a runaway success. And what we see in the media and in the bookstores is celebration and hero worship of the runaway successes. When I first launched my software product and I got my first 42 customers, that was a modest win. It's not the kind of launch that you hear a lot about. So if you have a modest win under your belt, don't give up and also celebrate where where you've come as a freelancer as an agency person because that's an incredibly impressive feat to pull off in and of itself and it will serve you well down the road if you do decide to get into productized service or straight up products because that skill of running an agency is truly an amazing thing and
0: a business asset a hundred percent yeah i think that's such a good point like running an agency is really hard and um I hope that those at home listening are going to give themselves a little bit more credit for the accomplishment of being able to build an agency, no matter what size it's at, even if it's just you and a couple of pals in an apartment or in a basement or all working from home uh, serving clients, like it's a difficult thing to do. So I love that you brought that up and that's some great advice. Um, So with all that, for those of you that are listening at home, leave us a comment wherever you're listening to this. Let us know what you got from this episode. Please reach out and share your feedback. And Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show today and sharing such valuable insight with all of those that uh, might be thinking about building a product out of their agency. So thanks so much for your time and for being on the show, man. Thank you, Marcel. Well, that's all for today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you wanna make sure to be kept up to date when we release a new show. And of course, check out parakeeto.com if you wanna dive deeper into our library of resources to improve your profitability, including our free agency profitability toolkit. And of course, if you got some value from today's episode and you think somebody else might benefit from hearing it, be sure to share it with them or leave us a review. All of those things help us impact more agency owners. So with that, thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode.